On this month, we're going to talk about, uh, in the month of February, evolving in our love for God and in our love for one another. So this is the month where we're going to talk about love. And we reason, the reason why it's important and the reason why we're tying this in the, into this theme is because love is something that evolves. The only thing and the only person that doesn't evolve is God. I need you to know that the only person that is incapable of evolving is God. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It is virtually impossible for God to get any better or any worse, for him to know any more or to know any less, for him to do greater or to do less, because God is what's called immutable, which means how he was is how he is is how he will be. Amen. We are not immutable. We are uh, creatures who evolve in maturity, creatures who mature, creatures who develop. And what we're talking about this month is evolving in love so that we can move the idea and the, or the, we can move the idea of love to the practice of love, okay? We're not talking about love theoretically. Uh, I, I've learned that there are more of us that it's easy to know love in a theoretical fashion. That means it's easy to know what love is, but it's harder to practice love. And we want to move us from, uh, from evolving, from being theoretically in our ideology of love to the actual practice of love. To not only know what love is, but to know how to do it. It doesn't matter if you know what something is if you don't know how to do it. And through the teaching of the Holy Spirit this month, we want to move us, not just to give information. We got enough information about love. But we want to realign what God says about love because we live in a world that calls everything love and calls everything and the wrong thing love. And it gets pretty confusing in the world we live in as to what love really is because we, it, it's a very mundane, very carnal, and a very fleshly definition of love. So we want to get that right, realign that, and then move us from the idea to the practice. We want to move us from the concept to the materialization of love. In other words, not just talking about it, but actually doing it. And there's only one way for love to evolve. It's the same way that faith evolves. Your faith will remain benign in its state. It will remain stuck in, uh, in its development. It will remain arrested in its development unless it is tested. Your faith needs situations that make you nervous. Your faith needs situations that aren't easy to figure out. Your faith needs situations that make you feel a little clueless. Your faith needs situations that you don't have the answer to because that's the only way your faith develops and evolves. Love is the same way. Well, love doesn't need situations necessarily that you are clueless about. Well, what in the world develops and evolves your love? You need people who are unlovable in your life. You need your haters. You need people that don't like you. You need to know about some of the people who talk about you behind your back. You need to know the fake friendships you have. You need to know people with bad attitudes because I'm telling you, you will have a suspended 
love and and watch this a benign love if you do not experience things in life that challenge you to love does that make sense and the natural humanistic thing to do when it comes to this idea of love is to run from our own evolution of love and the way we run from our evolution of love is we, we run from unlovable situations and we run from unlovable people. And some of us have put ourselves on an island in an effort to protect ourselves. We've built a wall around ourselves. We keep to ourselves. But but here's the thing about it. God not only wants you to love your neighbor and to love your brother and your sister, but he also wants you to love yourself. And at the end of the day, your brother can offend you, your sister can sin against you, your neighbor can sin against you, your friend can sin against you, your family members can sin against you, and unfortunately, you can sin against you. And so, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, this month, many of us are going to get an opportunity for love practice. Don't run from it. You're going to get an opportunity for love practice. I remember one year, we talked about love, and uh, one particular year, and a fight broke out in the church. See, when you, when you, when you operate in the Spirit, you see what's deeper than what meets the eye. It might, it might, you may look at that. It wasn't a physical fight. Nobody got knocked out, you know, took a nap. Nobody did that. But it was an altercation. During the month, we were talking about love. Do you think that's a coincidence? No. The devil will always target what God is trying to strengthen. In your life, the devil will always target what God is trying to strengthen. Why? Because once he, watch this, once it's strengthened, he loses a, a stronghold. He loses a hold. He can only grip us in our weak areas. And when God is strengthening where we are weak, we, he's losing a handle on us. And so this is why we are targeting love this month. Now the Bible says in our text, uh, let me just give some background about it. Uh, the church that Peter is talking to is a church that's suffering. Everybody say suffering. suffering. They're, being, they're being persecuted, they're being hunted, they're, they're going through affliction. Uh, they, they are having situations where they're being accused, the Christians are being accused. Particularly, Peter is talking to Christians who, used, who were Jews. So now when you came out of Judaism in that day, the Jews that you came out of no longer liked you. The Romans didn't want anything to do with you because you were part of this strange movement known as the, uh, the way of the Nazarene or the way or the church or the body or Christianity or being a Christian, which by the way, was a term of slander given to those people who were disciples or followers of Christ. This was a hard time for the church and Peter was writing to them. And one of the main consistent themes through the book, uh, books of First and Second Peter is the idea of suffering. He begins this very chapter by talking about suffering. Peter is where you find scriptures like, if any man suffer, let him not suffer as an evildoer, as a murderer, as a, as a thief, as a busybody in other men's matters, uh, matters. But if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But 
glorify God on this behalf. So he's addressing their suffering. And you say, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with something because suffering, watch this, suffering creates a pressure that makes it hard to maintain stability. Suffering will challenge everything about God that's in you. Suffering will challenge your faith. Suffering will challenge your patience. Suffering will challenge your long-suffering. Suffering will challenge your meekness. Suffering will challenge your love. And so the church was under pressure. And because of be being under pressure, watch this, they were being challenged in their faith. They, and whenever you're challenging your faith, you're going to be challenging your prayer life. Hear me today. Listen to what I'm saying. Whenever you're challenged in your faith, you are automatically going to be challenged in your prayer life because faith and prayer are tied together. You show me a person that stopped praying and I'll show you a person that lost faith. And one of the things that can lead you to this place uh, of, of losing these qualities is suffering. And so what Peter wants to do is he wants to shape their view of suffering. And in the very first verse of 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, he says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What are you doing, Peter? I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the church to factor suffering in. You cannot get away from it. It is inevitable. It's going to happen. You cannot run away from it. You cannot pay for it to stop. The only way for you to get away from suffering is to disconnect from Christ because these people were suffering for the name of Christ. And if Peter were here today, he would tell us the same thing. Factor in suffering. Don't discount it. Don't run from it. It is inevitable. I'm not here to tell you bad news. I'm here to tell you common news with a good news ending. The reality is the suffering for the child of God doesn't lead to his demise. It leads to his strength. But in the meantime, it will challenge everything that's in you. And so they were being challenged in their doctrine. They were being challenged in their mind. They were being challenged in their stability. So we get to verse number seven, and I've got to move quickly. And Peter says something like this. The end of all things is at hand. That is not just talking about the eschatological end or the end of time. That's talking about the end of suffering. He's basically saying, hold on, it's almost over. He's saying, hold on, it's going to stop after a while. He's saying, don't give up because the end is almost here. He's saying, don't quit, don't give up, don't give out, don't get it, give in. It's almost done. But he says in the meantime, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Why? For the purpose of prayer. As soon as you misinterpret your suffering, your faith will be tampered with and it will affect your prayer life. He's saying you have to have a clear mind because while somebody else's greatest instrument might be resistance or rebellion or even retaliation, your biggest weapon is prayer. And there's nothing worse than being in the wrong frame of mind trying to pray. 
I got to get practical now. Y'all ready for some practical stuff? It's, it, 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 it is almost a contradiction to be in the wrong frame of mind and think you can maintain a right prayer life. Why? Because when you are not in your sound mind, it will affect your living. And your living can affect your prayer life. Is this making sense to anybody? And watch this. Even if the reason is because you're suffering, let me make it really practical. Yeah, you're going through this, you're going through that, and you're going through another, right? We, have, we all have testimonies. We have what we're going through. We've been tempted. We're going through trials and tribulations. I'm going through so much. And that's a consistent story when it comes to church. At the end of the day, suffering does not give you permission to lose your mind. I wish somebody, I wish I had a witness in here. Suffering does not give you the green light to lose your judgment and to lose your sound mind. Just because you're going through something does not mean that it's okay to stop praying. And some people suffering, watch this, lead them to the throne of God, while other people suffering lead them away from the throne of God. Somebody said, well, when you're going through something, you know, you should pray. No, actually, it's easier to pray when you're not going through anything. Uh, yeah, 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 y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, when you're not suffering, it's easy to pray for some people. Now, you would think the common thought is, well, when you're suffering, you, you know, you just go down on your knees. Sometimes we sing more about praying than we actually pray. When everything is all right, thank you, Lord. That's, you know, Lord, I want to thank you. Lord, I want to thank you. I, I praise you, Lord. I adore you. I magnify your name. I blow kisses to you, God. But there are some things that you can go through that'll make you lose your mind, that'll make you lose your judgment. And Peter is saying, you need to be of sound mind. I know you're suffering, I know you're going through, but be of sound mind and keep your judgment. Why? Because you cannot afford to not pray. Say amen if you're following. Now, now in verse number 8, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm halfway there. Above all, he says, on top of all of it, keep fervent, he says, in your love. That word fervent is an interesting word. Uh, uh, most theologians uh, give this example that it's a word that kind of carries the idea of stretching, stretching a muscle. Uh, my wife is a shorty. Uh, brethren, say amen if you got a shorty do up. So I know she needs me because there are certain cabinets. And every now and then, I'll watch her. Now, you know, don't hold it against me, but I'll watch her as she tries to get a bowl that she needs. And, and, uh, and there's, a little, there's a little ladder that we, we little hat, uh, step stool that we have, and sometimes she can't find it. So what she ends up doing is, uh, it's funny to watch because, you know, she's, she's so pleasant grove thug, but when it comes to that, <laughs> she loses something. So here she is. She, she doesn't just reach. 
Because reaching takes minimal effort. And minimal effort will never bring you extravagant results. Are y'all hearing me in here? So in order for her to maximize the result, she stretches. And that requires muscle. Any pe- anybody that work out, right? If you work out and you're not sore, you, m- you might not be working out. <laughs> because that stretching of the muscle requires extra effort. That, that word fervent, it carries that idea, which means put forth extra effort to love one another. That's what he's saying. In other words, don't just reach when it comes to love. Learn how to stretch. And what does stretching look like? It means loving when people are unlovable. Yeah. Loving when people have an attitude. Loving when you don't like. We don't like talking about that in church. But the reality is you're not going to always like who God tells you to love. I wish there was some honest folk in here. Amen. You're not always going to like who God tells you to love. And if you're walking around only loving people who you favor, then you're not stretching. Stretch. Turn to somebody and say stretch. Yes. Amen. Keep it to yourself doesn't give you the exercise you need. Yes, Coming in late and leaving out early, that doesn't give you the exercise you need. Only hanging and talking to people that agree with you does not give you the exercise you need. You need some people in your life who will challenge you, who will disagree with you, who will give you headache, who will give you heartache, who will give you heartbreak so that you can Some of you are married to that person. Stay married and Y'all not going to say anything. You're not going to say anything. Look forward. If you can't say anything, just look forward and in your mind, say, when we get home today and when I get home Monday and there ain't no food on the table, I'm going to say a little prayer and... <laughs> oh, Maurice, you better... Some of y'all going to be in trouble when you get home. You showed out at church, huh? You had, to, you, you had to do that, didn't you? So he says, above all, have fervent love one for another. Watch this. And the reason why is because love has a covering aspect. He didn't say, so what he does, Peter does, is he basically quotes Proverbs 10, 12. Uh, and he elaborates, he stretches Proverbs 10, 12. Love has a covering act, aspect. He didn't say love ignores a multitude of sin. 
He didn't say love enables a multitude of sins. He says love covers a multitude of sins. Now, if God is the originator of love, if we want to see love covering sin, we have to look at God. Because you do know that love does not originate with us. The problem with us is we get offense confused with sin. And we say someone sinned against us because we were offended. We are naturally selfish. Everybody in here has a natural selfish tendency. It's not malicious. I didn't say you stingy. Selfish. Self-centered. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But in order to really understand what we're talking about, we're going to have to look and see where the covering started. So everybody go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And uh, this morning I started at verse 16, but for the sake of time, we'll start with verse number 17. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And then we're going to define clearly what this means. The, the covering aspect of love. The covering of love. The covering of love. The covering of love. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that term love back from the enemy and we're going to define it the way God defines it and describe it the way God describes it so that we're not getting our cues from from Neo about what love is. <laughs> or whoever you listen to. Amen. I'm not hating on Neo, and some of you sisters look offended. He hating on Neo. He hating on Neo. That's all right. I'm going to blast Neo when I drive off the parking lot. Well, you do you, boo-boo. At the end of the day, <laughs> Neo ain't died on nobody's cross. Herein is love, and Neo's name is nowhere on the pages of inspiration. What I'm trying to tell you is don't start with Neo when you're trying to understand love. Start with Jesus. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, let's move swiftly. Genesis chapter 3, begin with verse number 17. This was after Adam and Eve ate from the tree uh, that God told them not to do it. Now let's start with verse 17. Let's start with verse uh, 16 rather because there are a few nuggets I want to drop along the way that some of you will appreciate and others of you will not. Well, the Bible says what? To the woman he said. To the woman he said what? Okay, first understand that the first thing that happened when they ate the tree that they shouldn't have ate, eaten, that they recognized that they were naked. That was the first thing, right? The devil, now, the devil sold this, and I said this Wednesday, be careful because you can see a lie coming. What gets us is deception. We, we know how to identify a lie. You lying. He don't do nothing but tell lies. Amen. Yeah, he, that's what we say. He's just telling lies, just sitting around telling lies. That's what our drunk uncle used to do back in the day when he came over on Saturday nights sometimes, uh, and, and everybody got a drunk uncle. Don't judge me. Everybody got a drunk, uh, drunk uncle. Joe, Uncle Jimmy. Come on. And they sit about and talk about and tell lies. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, I had this kind of car before. I used to do this, that, and the other. So lies are easy to identify. But the reason why many of us have tripped up the way we have in life is not because we were lied to, but because we were deceived. And deception includes truth into the lie. So they ate of the fruit, 
And now what God is giving them is the consequence. Consequence. A sequence is a group of things that happen that are cause and effect. Okay? God doesn't punish them. He tells them what's going to happen now that you sinned. See, see, sometimes we look at God and we create this God that sits high and looks low, waiting for us to mess up so he can strike us with lightning. No, 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 no. God puts things in place. And whenever what God put in place is broken, it throws us into a different sequence of events. We obey God, we have this sequence of events that go with obedience. We disobey God, we have this sequence of events. The sequence of events is called the consequence. Say amen if you understand what I'm saying. So now God is telling them the consequence of what they did. And the Bible says what? Come read. I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. Read. Uh-huh. So now because you did this woman, it's going to hurt when you have a baby. Read. Uh-huh. Now watch this. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's not talking about you're going to look at your husband and say, I want him so much, so bad right now. That's not what that's talking about. Your desire shall be for your husband. The struggle between woman and man would continually exist. You're going to want your husband's authority and dominion. The consequence matched the action. The action was, for the first time in history, the woman didn't take the word from the man, the man took the word from the woman. And God said, because of this, your desire, you're going to always struggle until this very day. You, the term male-dominated society, you know where that comes from? That struggle. There's no problem being in a male-dominated home if the male is right. Oh, y'all, y'all, oh, so y'all, so y'all, not, y'all not liking this, but I don't preach what you like. I preach what God said. Keep moving, keep moving. I better move. I, I better move because some of y'all, you know, are homic- giving me homicidal looks. Some of y'all give me that first 48 look. Read. Uh-huh. Now, now not, not because you ate first. My problem isn't simply that you ate the fruit that I told you not to. My problem starts with the idea that you hearken to the voice of your wife. I gave you the command, you give her the command. That's how I set it up. That was the sequence. You change the sequence, you create a consequence. Are you understanding that? Read. Hurry up. Sorry. You should not eat from it. Read. Now the ground is cursed because of you. Read. You're going, now the ground is going to not be cooperative. All the days of your life. 
You're going to eat and toil of it all the days of your life by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles shall it produce. In other words, defensive agriculture. For the first time, nature is going to turn against you. That's what thorns are. Thorns are the plant's way of protecting itself. Before sin, plants didn't have a reason to protect themselves. Thus, it's no coincidence that Jesus wore on his head the icon of nature's defensiveness against sinful man. Anyway, go ahead. By the sweat of your face. By the sweat of your brow. Read. Read. Till you return to the ground. Read. Because from it were you taken it for the dust, and to dust you shall return. Read. Now the man called his wife's name Eve. He called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all the living. Read. Now watch this. He wasn't angry and in a rage against them. What he basically told them is because you did this, here's what's going to happen now. When they found that they were naked, the first thing they did is they took fig leaves and tried to cover their nakedness. God loved them so much that even when they were no longer like he made them, even though they had messed up, he takes skins and he covers them. Now, is he covering sin with that? No, he's covering the result of sin. He's covering the shame. And watch this. In order for him to take skins and do it, something had to die. Very simple. This is really old stuff, right? Something had to die. That's the idea of love covering. Everybody go to Genesis 9 quickly. Genesis 9. Quickly. Uh, start with verse number 20. Let me show you something. This is Noah. Do you remember Noah? I'll give you the context really quickly. Noah, Noah built the ark. Go for wood. Brought the animals on two by two. Say amen if you remember that, right? Brought the animals on two by two. You had the monkey, the monkhead, the bull, the heifer, the you know, goat, and the goat tet. You know what I mean. Flood happened, rained for 40 days, 40 nights. They were suspended for 120 days on top of the water. Okay, that happened. The water subsided. The ark landed on Mount Ararat. And, uh, of course, there's a new world now. Noah comes out, and the Bible says he begins to be a husbandman, and he basically plants a vineyard, right? So now he's taking grapes, and uh, he's doing creative things with them. He's squeezing grapes. He says, ooh, oh, that's good. Said, but it's a little weak. So he squeezes grapes now, and he's leaving the grapes for a little while. And he comes back after two days after that juice was squeezed out. And he says, mmm, that's good. It's still a little weak. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's called the process of fermentation. So he plants this vineyard and he starts making wine. Read the text. He drank of the wine and he became drunk. Read. Uh-huh. He what? He uncovered himself. So now he's drunk and naked. I'm not going to ask by show of hands how many of you 
have ever Because some of you will have to get rebaptized for the third time. Drunk and naked, bad combination, right? He's drunk and he gets naked, okay? Some of you laughing because you remember when. See, this has got to be a real church, you know. I, I, I'm allergic to sophisticated people. Sorry, please don't come around me. Or I'll have to stretch to love you, right? Uh, because that's what we have to do. But I, I think if we're going to do real ministry, we got to be real. And we, you know, some of us know all too well drunk and naked. So, so don't judge Noah. So here, you know, Noah is, he's drunk and naked and he's laying there. And the Bible says what? So one of his sons, Ham, who had a son named Canaan, does what? He comes in, he sees the nakedness of his father. That word sees is not, is not like he notices. It, he sees, he, he glances, he watches. He doesn't, oh, no, no, he sees. He, he dwells on, he sees, he clearly sees, he watches, he, he observes the nakedness of his father. There's nothing wrong with the fact that he saw it, right? That, that, that it met his eyes. He did not know that his dad was going to get drunk and get naked. But look at what he does. So instead of dealing with that, he runs and tells his two brothers outside. How many times do we see people in the nakedness of their sin? And instead of help them, we run and call our girlfriends. Because there's no garden like the gossip garden when it comes to the church. He saw it. Now at that point, he had a decision to make. Look at what his brothers do. He go and tells his brothers. And the Bible says what? Look at what they do. They take a garment. Come here, Maurice. They take a garment. They get news that their father, who they've never known to be like this, for all we know, they get a blanket, they put it over their shoulders, and they back up into the room, and they cover their father. Ham saw it do you know what Sham and Japheth had enough love for their daddy to not watch him in that shameful state and instead of having a conversation about it they covered him because they loved him because love covers When Peter says love one another fervently because love covers a multitude of sins, they were under persecution. Don't let what you're going through cause you to be an exploitive type of person. You don't have to say amen, but too many times secrets are told in church because the person would rather exploit than the cover. You're not going to say amen. You don't have to. The gossipers are the only one that won't say amen. Amen? 
You know why? Because that is wrong. It is the wrong spirit. It does not mean cover as in enable somebody. But when you see somebody in a shameful situation, it's shameful enough. Why would you go and exploit them? Why would you go and post it on social media? You're supposed to be my brother. You're supposed to be my sister. And if I lost my mind and my judgment because I'm drunk in my sin, don't look at me and run tell that cover me because love covers a multitude that's the kind of thing you can't appreciate until you've been in Noah's position fervent love. We all struggle. Why would you exploit it? Do you know, child, do you know? And here's a bit of wisdom. Anybody that'll bring you something about somebody else will more than likely not cover you. They won't cover you. When Jesus was down on that cross, that was God covering us. And, that, and let me tell you something. We understand it. Watch this. Because it got a little quieter, man. I'm concerned because your minds go wherever it will. But think about you married couples. Everybody don't know everything about your wife. Husbands, there are some things about your wife that if you told, nobody would respect her. Wives, there are some, see, 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 here's the deal, here's the deal. The reason why I started with that is we live in a society where the woman is always the victim, which is not true. Oh, some of y'all got off the boat, that's all right. Go on out there and drown if you want to. We live in a world that caters to the idea and feeds the idea that the woman is always a victim. This is what, this is what, what, this is what that causes. That causes entitlement to continue to be the victim even when you are the victimizer. At the end of the day, there are some things even wives know about your husbands that you don't exploit. Do you know why you don't exploit? Because you love them. It doesn't say love covers for the person. It covers the person. And forgiveness will lead you to covering. Churches are full of people that put up the them that they wish they were. And as I've said before, it's possible the image that we display make it to heaven and we be lost. But until we start being real about this, the reason why we have a savior is because we needed saving, and the reason why we have a covering is because we needed cover, and Jesus covered us, and we ought to cover one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is basically saying the way God loves you, love each other that way. Parents, all of you parents know something about your grown kids 
that you don't just exploit. You know why? Oh, my mama can tell you some stories. But if you get to asking too many questions. My mama from, from New York now. She'll grab the confession card, fill it out first, tell you where to go and how to get there. Because the reality is that's the covering nature of love. And if you got somebody in your life, if you got a friend who will watch this, tell you what's right, but not exploit what you did wrong, then that's a picture of the covering aspect of love. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. What you doing up there, Jesus? I'm covering you. Well, Lord, they're about to strip you of everything. Well, if the only way to cover you is for me to be uncovered, then I'll do it. What are you doing, Lord? You're letting them pierce you. Those are the hands that healed the sick. Those are the hands that raised the dead. Those are the hands that put salve on the eye of the blind man. What are you doing? He says, this is what it takes for you to be covered. And after all of that, the Lord says, now you go and love each other the way I have loved you. Stand to your feet. Somebody here needs to be saved, but you need to know first that God loves you. Love is the motivation of the gospel. That's what it is. It's the why of the gospel. Love is the why of the gospel. Everybody say love is the why of the gospel. Somebody here needs to be saved. Somebody here, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you don't love yourself. God knows the devil can lead you to do some things that will give you nightmares and ghosts. Is there a witness in the house? Have you ever had ghosts that you brought on yourself? You're defensive in ways because of things you've done. And you're so consumed with it coming back on you that you can't live in the right now for fear of a harvest that you know you deserve. I wish I were talking to some real people up in here. A harvest that you know you deserve. Some of us are terrorized by a harvest that isn't here, but a harvest that we know we deserve. Here's the beauty of it. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave you new seed. And he gave you that seed so that you can plant that seed, so that you can have a harvest to fight your, the harvest of your past. That's what he did. Start sowing good seed. Well, what about the consequence? Jesus is not concerned with saving you from the consequence. That's why we have to be careful with this love for and of confusing being offended with being, with, with being sinned against. If I walked by you without saying hi, I didn't sin against you. 
Because sin is not about you first. If I actually sin, about, sin against you, believe me, before I sinned against you, I sinned against God. But we're so selfish. And so now we tie sin to what makes me offended. And I'm offended because you walked by me and didn't talk to me. I'm offended because you didn't acknowledge me when you got in the pulpit. You sinned against me. No, I didn't. You were offended. Now, should we deal with each other like that? Yes. But understand that, <laughs> that when you are selfish, as long as you get your sorry, you don't care about that person's relationship with God. You see it? You get it? As long as your anger is appeased, you don't care about them and God. But when you love, you're not just concerned with your offense and your, the sin against you. You're concerned about their relationship with God. That's why Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Not because they offended you. If I sin against you, I'm in, I'm in more trouble with God than I am with you. And that's why when Jesus was dying, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know. That, watch this. I, they're doing this to me, but they have no idea what they're doing to you. And so it's prayer time. It's prayer time. If you need prayer, if you want to come to Jesus, do you believe he's the son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins and confess his name and be buried with Christ? And baptism today is your day. I'm telling you, today is your day. Now, right now, the devil's going to play with your mind. That's why you got to be of sound mind and judgment. I pray right now that if there's anybody on the brink that's, of giving their lives to Jesus, that the devil will be, will be bound enough, long enough, for them to come and give their lives to Jesus. And maybe there's somebody here and you need prayer. You, 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 you get it. You know, God loves me and I've been operating off of fear. If perfect love casts out fear, perfect fear can possibly cast out love. Some of you got the wrong concept of God and you are afraid of him. The Bible doesn't say be afraid of God. It says fear God. And that word means to respect so it's praying time. If you need to come, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, maybe you're here, you've been visiting, you know, you've been coming, you know, stop playing games. You've been coming, you know, you've been coming for the last two months, and you say, I don't know if I want to be here yet. Well, you here. I want you, I want you to think about casting your lots here. You got to attach to a growing family, a family that's evolving, right? Not a perfect church. I saw somebody sent me a video of somebody fussing about church folk. Church folk are fake, this and that, and fake, 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 fake. They tell you what they can do, another fake, 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 fake. I, I get, I get, I, I get disgusted with that. You know why? Because you work on a job with fake folk. You go to the grocery market with fake folk. There are fake folk in your family. Somehow we get extra strength sensitive when it comes to a church building. We all are being made over. All of us. So it's time to come. If you need to come, just start walking. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Maybe you need prayer for somebody in your family. God bless you as you come. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't worry about who's looking at you. 
Focus on who has you. And God has you. God bless you. You may have a seat there. One of our prayer councils will come. If you need to come, come right now. Come right now. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you.